Hello, welcome to that 90s wrestling podcast. Wrestling podcast takes you back to the glory years of WWE, the 1990s. And this is a long time since I said this because I haven't done a pay-per-view review in God knows how long. But I'm very glad to welcome some old friends to the show and a new friend of the show. Joining me, the guy who was on episode one, who reviewed Royal Rumble 1990 with me, UTT Rob. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm just hoping... Uh... This recording is going to be less than the four and a half hours it took for uh, Royal Rumble. <laughs> I think I'm about 20 podcasts in now, so I think I've got a little bit more experience. <laughs> it was almost as long as an AEW Dark show. <laughs> cool. And joining me, my second guest, and he was also the very second guest of my uh, show, uh, who reviewed WrestleMania 6 with me. Some people say Conrad Thompson is the podfather, but I personally think this guy is. He is podfather Mags. How are you doing, Mags? I'm doing good. There's literally just one person that says I'm the podfather and he's on this call right now. Uh, yeah, good to be back. Glad you're bringing back this uh, this concept because uh, I enjoyed doing the, the WrestleMania 6 one. So, yeah, it should be fun with these uh, with these two reprobates. Cool. And join us, a new friend of the show. And apparently, from what I've heard, he's going to be the most controversial. So, buckle up. And his name is Dan Griffin. How you doing, Dan? That is absolutely scandalous. I will not have my good name sullied like that. I'm assuming Mags told you to say that, the dick. <laughs> Besmirched. <laughs> Besmirched. Now I'm good, James. Thanks for having me on. Uh, looking uh, forward to getting into it. Awesome. So for everyone there who's thinking uh, I might as well bring it up, thinking, where's the American guy, Kevin? So Kevin's left us because uh, Kevin just uh, couldn't seem to... Uh, He's had his own channel and he just wanted to decide to do some more stuff to that. So we're still on good terms. So I want to say thank you to Kevin for joining me on the show as what he was on. And hopefully he'll come back one day. And also, I just want to give a quick special mention to uh, Paul Tolly, who was meant to join us tonight, but unfortunately had a um, family emergency. So our best wishes goes to Paul and hopefully he'll be joining us next time. Absolutely. So, lads, to cheer up the mood, today we are reviewing WrestleMania 7. It was on March 24th, 1991. And uh, probably, even though every WrestleMania is patriotic, I think this one takes the biscuit. <laughs> yeah, not half. Uh, it was a really cringeworthy um, army package, wasn't there? Uh, was, I don't know. It was, it was so American. So that American. Was, that, that Stars and Stripes opening with Hogan and Slaughter facing off, it was cheesier than a fondue bubble bath. <laughs> it was just frigging hell. <laughs> so, do Americans actually enjoy this stuff? Cause, yeah. 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 I can just I imagine if there, a Brit, if there was a British version, we'd be thinking it was, you know, a, a, an advert for the BMP. You know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. And then you have Willie Nelson singing the National Anthem, and I'll admit, he was better than Gene Oakland at WrestleMania 1. God God love Gene, but he's not, he wasn't a great singer, but you've got Willie Nelson singing it. But the Yanks had played the National Anthem for every opening of a horse legs. I don't understand this level of patriotism. I once got a bollocking for being at Bush Gardens and saying, why are they playing the National Anthem? Well, if you don't like it, go back home. So, why am I going home in about two weeks? <laughs> but you've not answered my question. <laughs> I mean, the thing, the thing that got me with that Willie Nelson opening was uh, he's obviously a, a big stoner, likes his weed, very mm -hmm. kind of anti-establishment. Uh, but he was the biggest shill. Everything he wore was a piece of WWE merchandise. He, he had a form WWE title on. I mean, <laughs> it was just totally against all his kind of like philosophies just to get a payday and sing in front of, what was it, like 17,000 people in L.A.? 
I was going to joke about whether that was a title belt or not. <laughs> Couldn't quite make it out. I'm, I'm sure it was the it was a you know then the form ones you could get as like a kid. Mm. Um, it was a form like WWF title belt. Yeah, it was weird. Fuck me. It's funny because when I saw him, I was thinking a couple of weeks ago he he, um, he called out Trump on Twitter, didn't he? Um, and, yeah. and I just sort of wrote that down, not realizing how Trump heavy this show was. Oh so, yeah. my god! Yeah. At the same time. Seems like such a nice bloke as well, but <laughs> we'll get on to him later on. But before we actually get into the show, um, to go around the rest of the media world at the time, so number one in the UK music chart was Hail and Pace, The Stonk, which I personally have never heard of that song. I don't know about you guys. What? That is a bop. That is a bop. <laughs> I used to go to the, the, the school disco, and that was an absolute bop of a tune. <laughs> uh, number one in the US charts was T one more time, which I've never heard of. Uh, in the movie charts in the US, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, awesome movie, which ha- also had Kevin Nash uh, cameo as Super Shredder. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one UK charts was Life is Sweet, and in the video games world, still number one game in the world at the time was Street Fighter 2, and I can imagine you lads uh, had plenty of good memories on Street Fighter 2. Before my time, to be honest. What? You've, have, you what? Not, have you never played Street Fighter 2? Well, not in the year it came out. In 1991, I was two years old. <laughs> that, that's fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to actually wait for the Mega Drive version because I, I was a, a Sega guy rather than a Nintendo guy. Yeah, I, I was a Sega guy, but uh, one of my mates had a Nintendo and he got the uh, American import, but he had to get uh, a converter for it as well. So I think the import was like 70 quid back in you know, 1991, and then God knows how much the converter was, but, yeah, probably probably not worth it. I actually had it on the um, Commodore Amiga. I think it came out with about 12 discs that you kept having to uh, swap every time you were fighting someone else. <laughs> cool. So as we get into WrestleMania, um, it's at the LA Sports Memorial uh, with an attendance of 16,158 fans. Obviously, the original plans was it to be at the uh, was it the LA um, Memorial Coliseum? Have I got that right? Uh, I think that was going to be like a hundred thousand seat stadium. And WWE kayfabe reason why they uh, didn't hold it there was because because uh, apparently Sergeant Slaughter was drawing so much heat he was getting bomb threats. My <laughs> 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 problem, I'm thinking. <laughs> Right, he's the Iraqi sympathizer, so does that mean he was getting the bomb threats from fellow Americans? <laughs> yeah, which would make him know better than the Iraqis that they were they were like protested against. I think <laughs> it was more that this was not a WrestleMania pay per view level main event, and nobody wanted to see it. It's 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 funny though because all through the show they keep saying how it's the uh, largest pay per view audience, which it, it wasn't either. It was quite low for the previous years. Um, Even the following... In, in all on, fair, Rob, are yeah? you telling me that the WWF were fudging the numbers? Well, I'll, I'll not believe that for a second, mate. That, yeah, that's as outrageous funny. as me being called controversial. It's funny, and you know I love you know I love a spreadsheet, and you know I'm a complete geek. So I um, I, I mapped uh, US unemployment rates to pay per view buys. Um, and to be fair, it is the start of the early 90s recession, so I think it's fair that it was down, but <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't a great selling pay-per-view. No. But, That's uh, way more effort than I've put into this. 
Oh, I was so happy. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> the Coral <Eight." laughs> Wow. I'm expecting him to, to like, compare the, the, the political schemes in, in Guatemala to, to the main event next. Can we do this on Teams next time so Rob can like get the spreadsheets actually live <laughs> on the get one of those clickers? <laughs> It'd be like in Big Bang Theory where Sheldon's fun with flags, it's Rob's fun with graphs. You can have a lot of fun with graphs, Dan. That sounded sinister. <laughs> and as we get to the show, it's, uh... funny with graphs. <laughs> and as we get to the show, it's the Gorilla Monsoon, he's joined by. Uh... A homeless Uncle Sam by the name of Axel Jim Duggan. <laughs> oh Jesus! That was a, that was as American as a bald eagle bearing an AR-15. Oh. I, I sat down in uh, in fancy dresses, Apollo Creed, rather uh, <laughs> uh, Rocky Four. Drag off, yeah. And uh, before the first match start, we go backstage to Sean Mooney, and he's joined by the Rockers and. Uh, I think the best way to describe this promo was uh, bland. Uh, it felt like they just tried to get through this promo as quick as possible. <laughs> well, between the neon and the tassels and the bland promos, I really thought I was watching the Young Bucks. Oh. <laughs> well, they, to be they, fair, one of the Young Bucks did not try and murder someone behind a bowling alley. But you know, allegedly. Well, we know of. <laughs> or Shaggy's stepdaughter, allegedly. They've tried to murder the wrestling business. Oh, <laughs> don't look like um, I'm mad, Max. I got the allegedly in at the end. I'm, I'm covered. This this episode may lose me all my podcasting gigs. <laughs> oh, it's okay. This isn't a you knew the risk you were taking the first time you had me on your show, Max. <laughs> and I've been pimping you out to other people's. Yeah, I had a feeling this was your doing. So we're going for the first match. It's Jarokas, the, uh, the Barbarian, and Haku, joined by Bobby Heenan. And uh, yeah, the uh, Barbarian and Haku they get the uh, jobber entrance. Well, and then all of a sudden the Rockers come to the ring, and uh, yeah, Rockers start things off well with some quick tag moves. Um, but heels take over with some headbutts. Uh, one thing I did find during this match, I honestly didn't think Jim Duggan was that bad on commentary. <laughs> it was all right. One, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I thought it'd be terrible. I thought he was just like, okay, but I think Rob's got something else to say. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's, not, it's not that he was bad. It was just that it was very apparent during... Because in this era, era, if the crowd weren't making a noise, they definitely piped in the um, crowd effects. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was so funny because Hacksaw Jim Duggan called Bobby Heenan a weasel. And they, pressed, they must have pressed the weasel button because there's a weasel <laughs> chat. And everyone in the arena sat completely still, you know, with their uh, sat on the hands, mouths not moving. But you can hear weasel coming through. <laughs> Yeah, there was a, few. a stadium full of ventriloquists. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, I was so busy at watching the wrestling itself, I actually didn't pick up on that until halfway through the show. That's oh. the amazing thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you do sometimes when you're actually watching. You do, where you're so focused on the match, you don't really take notice uh, if it is piped in. But when you do go back and actually look at the fans, then, yeah, you can tell there's a bit of piping, but there you go. It's no different to today's WWE, I suppose. <laughs> One of the weird things I picked up on this match was that Marty Giannetti, uh, oh, what did he have? It was um, it was like white knee pads over the mm. long tie-dye gear, and it was just so bizarre. It was that it was that bizarre that I, was, I just kept looking at it for like two minutes, and I was like, are they, if that's bandages, why are they under his... What? <laughs> I mean, that 
should have been the first indication somebody should have checked his hard drive. <laughs> It'd have been a floppy disk in those days. Yeah, that, that's yeah. too easy to joke about. <laughs> but, um, towards the wow. match, um, Marty does make the hot tag to Michaels and uh, yeah, clears else and he does a top rope uh, drop kick. Marty follows up with a top rope crossbody and uh, yeah, uh, by Sean onto Haku and yeah, they win the match. So during this match, like obviously, um, Janetti had like maybe three or four years more experience on Sean, possibly even more. But did you find like during this match that you could start to, even though obviously we've got hindsight now, but during this match, did you feel like Sean was starting to overtake Marty as the performer and obviously the competitor, I suppose? I think it was the roles that were working in there, wasn't it? Because, um, you know, it, um, Marty was in there to um, sort of get all the heat on him and then um, Sean came in for the hot tag yeah. in sort of a classic format. Um, I actually wrote down it, it was quite refreshing to watch a match like that. You know, it would just come off the back of the uh, Young Bucks and FTR sort of thing, which is lauded as one of the best tag team matches of all time. But these days they're a bit overbooked sometimes, and it's quite nice just to see a classic tag team match worked in tag team style, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you, Rob. And uh, me and Paul were talking yesterday on a recording about how wrestling nowadays is so kind of fast-paced and everyone's more concerned with getting their move set out and and it looking spectacular. And you're right, this was refreshing to watch a a, a slow, a well-paced wrestling match where the fans have got time to get invested, the the wrestlers have got time to sell the moves, because you don't get that a lot nowadays. It's it's so quickly paced that selling is a lost art form and and this was it was um it was not it was good to watch the fact that four wrestlers who knew the job knew what the the they wanted to get the the crowds uh to to react and yeah they did exactly what what they wanted they they got a hot start to the the pay-per-view and um yeah i enjoyed it michaels was the sorry rob just saying michaels was the uh the ricky martin wasn't he yeah he was there for the hot tag get the just get the pace going set up the doubles there were some great double team moves in there from from yeah. uh, from the rockers it was like the just the dub, even just something classic like the double hip toss into the double elbows yeah like you say just wonderfully refreshing to see yeah. just yeah really enjoyed it Good match. things that actually got um the crowd off the feet and uh re- really um into the match was just a bear hug from the barbarian to mighty genetti you know yeah. just, rest holds do work if you place them right and nope. and and the thing that I, I like noticed with that bear hug was, it was timed so well it, that it didn't get boring. That didn't you didn't kind of lose uh, interest in the match. There was it was there just long enough for you to to go on that kind of emotional journey with it. Cool, and uh, we'll get to the next segment because uh, what I also forgot to mention is fourteen matches tonight. So like Rob said. <laughs> An AEW Dark show <laughs> or an NXT UK taping. Yeah. Uh, AEW Dark have been doing so well the last couple of weeks. They'd kept it under 80 minutes, they'd reduced the matches, and, and now they've whapped it back up. And it's like the, the, they've stopped listening to fans. And by fans, I mean me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, next we see Gene Oakland, and he's with uh, Regis, uh, Marlene Maples, and uh, Alex Trebek, who um, I think I was right, sadly passed away um, a couple of weeks ago. Well, yeah. uh, um, Alex Trebek and um, Regis Philbin have died this year, actually. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. think it's pretty together. But um, I know Reed is. He was like a. I think he was like a chat show host over there, and he was a big wrestling fan. And uh, Trebek, I think it was the show where Jeffrey. Is that right? Yeah, uh, Reed is coming was pretty much the the like the the Philip Schofield to Kathy Lee's uh, uh, Holly Willoughby. All right. <laughs> And um, I don't, uh, I've never seen Kathleen, but was she as hot as Holly Willoughby? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Does that make Alex Trebek Bradley Walsh? <laughs> he wishes. He wishes he were as funny as Bradley Walsh. <laughs> there's, funny, there's funny later on, there was um, when um, he was talking to uh, Gene Oakland and he kept getting his name wrong. He kept calling him Jim rather than Gene. Yeah. He also, I noticed as well in that, he, he also got the, the concept of his own TV show wrong as well because Gene answered him in the form of a question and he, he shot him down for it. Alex shot him down and all that. Yeah, that's a right answer there, Alex. You should have given him the point. And uh, that uh, Marlene Maples, uh, so obviously I was a child during this, but I've done my due diligence and research. So apparently she had an affair with Donald Trump, then she later on got married to him. Is that right? Yeah, she was his second wife. Uh, they've got a daughter together, so that's another sort of Trump um, Trump thing on this show. Um, I, I also went down a bit of an internet um, rabbit hole with it. She was on Dancing with the Stars, and her right. dance partner was the same dance partner that Stacey Keebler had had when she oh, was right. on Dancing with the Stars, so there's another wrestling connection. Probably. Wow. Cool. So um, next segment we got, it's uh, Dino Bravo for the... Um, Texas Tornado and uh, Bobby Heenan uh, returns to the commentary decision. Let's mention something, James, before you move on, because um, there's a bit where um, Regis um, is telling a story about Earthquake, and he said right. it's so oh, yeah. scary, he tipped over a pizza delivery van, and I just wondered if Dan had any um, stories that might relate to that. <laughs> that uh, sounds like he may have. <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> Okay, we're doing this, aren't we? All right. Uh, On a night out, I can't remember how long ago now, maybe three years ago, I just had a a skin full. I was walking home about one in the... Well, staggering home about one in the morning. Um, Not a lot of people about. I could see a motorbike off in the distance. I thought, I'll make that. Uh, I didn't make it. And long story short, I got floored by a Deliveroo motorbike. Wow. And... The next, other, I think, yeah, I can make that, and then walk out. Next thing I know, I'm on my back in the middle of the street. I sort of look behind myself like that. Someone just like moved my neck, and I'm like, "Oh God, a bike crashed into me." I'd best get up and see if he's all right. So I just popped up because when you're that drunk, you made a rubber and magic. Yeah. Um, and I got up. My, my primary concern wasn't for the driver; it was if I, if I'd fucked up anybody's takeaway. Oh wow! Did so you I picked kip up, up though. Did you do the Shawn Michaels genetic kip up? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I p- picked the driver up, helped gather up the empty uh, the empty boxes. Thankfully, no food had been harmed. Um, otherwise, I'd have just been absolutely shattered as a fat man. Um, and yeah, just picked myself up, walked home, and then next morning woke up, thought, why does me why does me left arm hurt? Turns out that's what had taken most of the impact, and I'd uh, I'd, I'd like just a, a little tear in me uh, me tricep. Wow, <laughs> that that was all it was. Yeah, like I say, mate, rubber rubber and magic, rubber and magic. You haven't told them what shape the tear was, Dan. Hey, pizza shape. Wasn't it, wasn't it in the delivery logo shape? 
No, that's just something you and your good lady have decided. You also decided that I had a Deliveroo logo imprinted down my entire left-hand side, and also that I somehow ended up with a smaller one on my ass. I think you should get a Deliveroo tattoo to like, memorialise the moment. That thing get... is, I only actually first used Deliveroo three weeks ago. <laughs> you have a tattoo of the Deliveroo logo with a, a strike through it. That's one that you've knocked down. Yeah, and then get I'll the just eat and the food hub. And I'll just start <laughs> carving into my. I'll just start carving into my flesh like Victor Zaz. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that, Rob. Um, but since we're going into moving it back to the match, <laughs> swiftly on it. Can I just say what the fuck was Kerry Von Eric wearing? He looked like a cowboy Ric Flair, and it was like ran, ranch of a jazzle chic. <laughs> Well, that was it. His jacket, I think it was ill-fitting, and I don't know if this was planned or just that. I personally felt like it just happened. It wasn't planned. As he was taking the jacket off, Bravo was like, fuck it, I'm going to go for it, and just clotheslined him all tangled up in the ropes. And um, not much to write about this, uh, really. It was a pretty quick uh, pretty quick match, and um, Kerry catches uh, Dina Bravo with a claw, followed by Tornado Punch, one, two, three. Um Pretty quick match, really. But um, the one thing I will write, um, it's actually Dino Bravo's last pay-per-view appearance, the WWF. So um, I personally think he didn't have a bad run, especially when he got teamed up with the Earthquake. And obviously, uh, unfortunately, I think it was like the next year or two, uh, he basically got gunned down by the uh, Canadian Mafia, which if anyone's watched the uh, Dark Side of the Ring episode, it was really like, you know... Mm opened your eyes, like, what business he was involved in, but as for his in-ring career, how did you feel like during these few years he did have in the uh, WWF? It, it was funny, this one, because both of these guys were the guy in the promotion that they came from, so yeah. Dino Bravo had been the main one in IWC, and, uh, and um, Kerry Von Erich had been the main one in uh, WCCW, um, you, know, you sort of think today about all these people who've been, you know, Ring of Honor and TNA and whatever champions before going to WWE and they're stuck in the mid card, but I guess it was kind of always the case. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's a uh, a big fish in a small pond going into a big pond. It's not everyone's going to be world champion, are they? No. Yeah. And this would have been just just after uh, Vince really started tearing the uh, the territories apart and, and trying to buy up everyone else. So you really kind of had no option. If you wanted to be a big wrestling star, it, it was, it was that WWF or pretty much nothing. Yeah. But uh, we get into the next segment and it's the uh, promo, uh, the warlord with uh, Slick, <laughs> Dr. Style. I, I love Slick. I think he was so entertaining. <laughs> Slick was the best part of these two promos. It's the, it's the second shouty, growly, 80s-style promo of the night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kept a count. Oh, Bloody Warlord looked like Phantom of the Opera got the Jason X treatment. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, it's a Warlord, and we'll get to it when it gets to the match. You know, if you used to build a heel wrestler to take on Hulk Hogan, or uh, that that's your guy. I, I don't know. I'm not saying, <laughs> not saying you should give them a main event run, because obviously the quality of matches... <laughs> would have been so great with Hogan, but I would have watched them. I think, like, you know, he looks like someone you could stick in the main event, but um, we get to the next promo, and it's uh, British Bulldog, and I've made my uh, opinions clear on the Bulldog. I love British Bulldog. He was one of my guys uh, growing up, and uh, 
but his promo skills was never top notch. Uh, no, and this one was not good. It was not a good promo. What's I, that, Winston? Jimmy's fell down the well. Oh no! Come on, that last, that last, that last line was great. I don't care how he got there. There's no bull in the British bulldog. That's fantastic. Yeah, that I love good. that. But it, it was the whole like uh, nobody can break down the the warlords full Nelson. Well, I can and I will. Surely the point would be to not get in the full Nelson in the first place. Why would you go, come on, full Nelson, me, I am going to break this. The best part of that pro the master lock. That that was the thing. He thought he was fighting Chris Masters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the warlord challenge. It was 14 years too early. <laughs> <laughs> the best part about that promo was uh, Winston looking up back up at him when he stopped scratch when Bulldog stopped scratching his head. Yeah. Like, Come on, you frigger. I was enjoying that. <laughs> cool. So we get into our next match. It's the Warlord versus uh, the British Bulldog. And uh, good reaction. Oh, it opened. It sorry. Sorry to cut you off. Sorry. It opened with blasphemy. Absolute frigging blasphemy. Because they announced a man from Goulburn in fucking Lancashire has been from Leeds, and that is just wrong. On that, Mags will agree. That annoys me. William Regal being from Blackpool annoys me. Yeah, which is I mean, worse. It, even Bispin being like announced from Manchester annoys me. There's yeah. no British pride. The thing is, we say this with all the British wrestlers because we know where they're actually from. But yeah, all these pretty American, much. You know, CM Punk, Chicago. Everyone in Chicago is going, no, he's not. You know. Yeah, I've got uh, no Undertaker from Death Valley. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the first thing I'd say, like when you saw the size of these two guys in the ring, I mean, wow, could you imagine them two in like today's roster? <laughs> I mean, I put it this way Sack Ryder, like while in WWE, was pretty much, I would say, just like a middle sized guy, you could say. But when he was over in AEW for that cup of coffee, he looked like a giant compared to that roster in AEW. So can you imagine these two guys, like <laughs> in today's wrestling? It's well, uh, Billy. Billy Gunn wrestles like Kane over there. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Jay Roberts, one of the biggest people they've got, and he's not even a wrestler, you know. Well, yeah. anymore. And, looking, uh, looking at these two guys wrestle though, it definitely looked like AEW uh, video game graphics with how tight the skin was, them bulging with muscles. They were an advert for, for steroid abuse, definitely. I, I, I actually put this match as a steroids on a pole match, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'd, I'd be fair, though, I personally think this was actually a pretty good match. Uh, there was one point where Warlord hit like a really nice belly-to-belly, and uh, like he did eventually get that four Nelson locked in, and uh, the Bulldog breaks it and turns it to the power slam for the one, two, three. And uh, I actually really enjoyed this match, even though, like, for the size of the two guys involved, I've, I do personally think there was a bit of a fast pace to it. And um, Davey Boy, like, some people doesn't really credit him as a good worker. I've always personally think he's had some pretty damn good matches. Now, his two best matches, obviously, he's been with Brett and Owen, which it's hard to have a bad match with him, but. I've always think he's been competently sound, especially during his uh, British Bulldog days with uh, Dynamite. Um, but yeah, I actually really enjoyed this match. I don't know how you felt. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a great match, and uh, I was really glad to see uh, Slick wearing Mark Henry's salmon jacket from his uh, <laughs> for retirement stage. <laughs> 
I really enjoyed it as well. One thing I loved was the it was sort of the old school thing of Bulldog having to hit a shoulder block from every set of ropes, from every direction, just to take Warlord down. Uh, just absolutely phenomenal. But it always gets gets me with uh, with Davy is how just how agile he actually was. Because I think it was him versus Owen in Germany That's for the it. European title on Raw. And yeah. they, you could tell they were having so much fun just trying to outdo each other, just seeing who could be the most athletic. You know, see, can you do this? Can you do this? Yeah. Just, it just blew me away. I was, um, and sorry if it sounds like I'm plugging in my interviews, but when I was speaking to Davy Boy's daughter, George Smith, um, where he's on about like Owen and uh, Bulldog, how much they actually loved each other and how much they loved like working with each other. And uh, you could tell that in that European title match, like just the two of them, like you said, uh, Dan, just trying to top one each other, like doing little front flips and uh, cartwheels in the ring. It was good. Um, but I suppose. I was going to say, David had like a technical background anyway. I mean, when he was in World of Spa, he'd tag with Big Daddy and he'd be in that Ricky Martin role of. Of getting all the heat on him, sort of thing. So, I mean, he bulked up obviously later when he uh, when he got those steroids off the stick. But um, <laughs> you know, before before then, he, he he had been a really technical wrestler. Yeah, and he even played that role with with, with the actual British Bulldog as well, though. So he was well versed at that. This is, I think, this is um, quite early in his in his single run. Uh, so it's it's good to to see how how well he, he took to singles wrestling after being a, a tag team wrestler for for so long. Yeah. Before we move to the next segment, have you uh, checked out a post of the video from? Uh, have you checked out Dynamite's nephews? I've seen a bit of them, yeah, because I think they were in uh, they were in sort of the very last days of Defiant. Yeah, over here they were in as the uh, the Billington boys. That's right. uh, so. I've seen bits of them. Yeah, uh, one of them I can't remember which one is absolute. Is like a is, I think he's a bit taller, but it's like you said, he's absolute spit of uh, of Dynamite. That's right. Um, I'm trying to think which one. Uh, Thomas. I think he's actually the younger brewery. He's got like a bit longer hair. And um, but yeah, I watched some of their stuff. And the two, I mean, they're only big kids. They're like 19, 17, if that. Um, but I'm predicting some pretty uh, good things for them in the future. So uh, hopefully uh, they do so when the world becomes normal and everyone's allowed to start uh, wrestling again, I suppose. Mm. But um, yeah, we'll get to the next segment, and it's uh, Mean Gene with the uh, the Nasty Boys. Uh, Brian's, uh, well, yeah, Jerry Sachs making his uh, debut on pay per view, as in, well, he's making his debut, but because uh, Nobbs was in the Rumble uh, last time round, but Jerry wrestled in that match. But uh, yeah, so together the debut of the Nasty Boys. Uh, what was your thoughts on the Nasty Boys? Was you as a fan growing up of watching them? I hated them. Yeah, that's how I was supposed to. I just absolutely hated them. I hated the stupid, the stupid like what was it like paint flecks all over the clothes, and just yeah, I got completely suckered into detesting them. And watching that, I think that's the third shouty, uh, shouty eighty style promo. Even though it's in nineteen ninety one, um, just it just brought it all back. I was like looking, I was like, oh god, you bastards! Especially with Jimmy Hart as well, that little. Wanker, come stick him either. Growing up, I've not quite let this go. Can you tell? <laughs> but I, I actually thought that the this this promo uh, segment was was the best so far. Uh, I always like Anvil's kind of mad rambling laugh promos. I think he just had it. Just doesn't um, it doesn't 
like plan what he's going to say, just lets his his mouth run and and goes with it. Uh, but yeah, I thought the 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 the, the the promos did what they were meant to do and, and kind of harp up the match. I was never a, a huge Nasty Boys fan, uh, but I always kind of like, I, I appreciate them for what they were. If you, anyone who pulls out their own teeth as part of the gimmick, surely they deserve a little bit of respect for that. Yeah. And uh, we get into the mat. Well, we make the entrances and uh, Nasty Boys heads to the ring with Jimmy Hart and <laughs> Gorilla says, that little runt... <laughs> And that also it turns to like Macaulay Culkin and, and Bobby Heenan's is like, oh, well, you meant Macaulay. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so that's a, that's our uh, other uh, celebrity uh, cameo we see tonight, uh, Macaulay Culkin from uh, Home Alone fame. But uh, then after that, um, the Heart Foundation comes out, and it's hard to judge if it was a genuine crowd reaction if it was piped in. But to me, when I watched them come out, it looked like it was genuine. I I, I like to think so going off the last few pay-per-views and the reactions Brett's been getting lately. Well, there, there was, I don't know if uh, you've known, I was watching the seats all night. Um, there were a few empty seats uh, opposite the hard cam, but they finally got filled when the Heart Foundation came out. So there were clearly people who were uh, drinking on the concourse or whatever. Um, the sort of that was match they were definitely wanting to be there for. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go and watch the Rockers. Giz, two parts are mild. <laughs> 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 and, uh, Sound like me during a young bloke's match, <laughs> and it was a pretty um, fast-paced uh, match, uh, really. And uh, one thing I did write, like Brett was so good during this match, like the selling he was doing, and uh, like when you compare him to the other three guys involved, he was just like on a different level. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one thing I, I were getting frustrated with was how many times they attempted the camel clutch. Uh, Bret Hart's back must have been in pieces after that. I think they did like four or five attempts at it. Uh, but it was, a, again, another typical kind of a well-worked tag match where you get uh, someone taking a lot of uh, abuse and then you get a hot tag and, and a clean house. Yeah, it's everything that I like in tag team wrestling. It's funny, though, because you always get this perception <clears throat> that finisher moves were really protected... Um years ago and that nobody else used the same move in the same territory and yet you had them going for the camel clutch and obviously that slaughters well one of the slaughter signature moves or whatever that's um you know that they were kind of not protecting as a a dominant move at that point one thing Uh, i picked up on during that match was when anvil was in nasty boys corner and they were on top sags actually had hold of anvil's singlet but from between the the top and middle rope so obviously Anvil's back was to Sags. He had hold of the singlet. The referee's on the other side, so the ref can't see it, but the camera person was smart enough to get in there and get that shot. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those little things that I picked up and I've never seen that anywhere else. But what a fantastic little touch. Yeah. So just and... an extra bit of bastardry. <laughs> yeah. the, the, other thing, the other thing I noticed, I don't know if anyone else had seen this previously or was aware, it's the first time I ever picked up on it. Brian Nobbs has a tattoo that says Nobbs on his arm. Which is like, <laughs> he's got he's got Nobbs tattooed on his arm and delivery on his ass cheek. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Also, just when you thought Jimmy Hart couldn't get any douchier, he adds that bloody motorcycle helmet to his custom airbrushed suit. What a tool. <laughs> I will give him credit though. Nasty boys were epic shit houses. It was like watching Burnley play football. I don't want to. Oh, I didn't want to like them. But... 
but the shit, but the shit house the way into a bit of respect from me. <laughs> That's the best it can hope for then. <laughs> happy place, Mags. Happy place. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. The end of the Vatican's uh, when uh, Hart hits um, the heart attack on Nobs. And then Hebner, for some reason, just decides to stop the count and he tries to get Brett out of the ring, which oh, fucking I've, never, I've never seen that happen. That's not the first time we'll screw Brett up. And uh, then Sags uh, gets the motorbike helmet off Jimmy and uh, hits the anvil, uh, one, two, three. And the one thing I did write down, the, fan, uh, the fans legitimately looked shocked. Like, it was like, whoa, we did not expect this to happen. Yeah. I mean, knowing what we know now, though, you could tell it was... To, to get the towels towards the Legion of Doom. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, as, as a fan, I can totally understand because the Heart Foundation were were everybody's favourite. And then yeah. for the nasty ways to come in and, and upset them at Mania. I mean, Mania is usually a feel-good show anyway. Um, mm. for, them, for them to come away with the towels is, is a big shock. Yeah. And uh, the one thing I forgot to mention as well, and uh, not only for the Anvil, but also for Matty Gennetti, this is actually their last WrestleMania appearances apiece. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah, even though Gennetti still with the company for a little bit, and a little bit further down the road, and you, I, I suppose, well, after this show, Anvil went, went away for a bit. This is actually their last WrestleManias. So, uh, yeah, because this is the... The first WrestleMania in a three WrestleMania run where Shawn Michaels is in the curtain jerker match. Yeah, exactly. Good. So uh, I will say as well that I did pick up on Jimmy Hart's celebration after <laughs> when he's rolling around on the floor, hugging the belts and all that. It looked it looked it looked like a Christian uh, temper tantrum from the early two thousands. And then and then when I think it was uh, he handed the belt one of the belts to Sags and then he started hugging him at crotch heart. Yeah, it's, it was very homoerotic. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not the last time we'll see something crotch high in this uh, third view, is it? <laughs> cool. And the next thing we see is uh, the promo package between uh, Jake Snake Roberts and Rick Martel. And um, this feud's been going on for a while, pretty much just before uh, Survivor Series. So they've been feuding for like, you know, best part of uh, six months, if that. And. Um, Jake cuts the promo afterwards. He cuts a good promo, but <laughs> one thing I did write down, he says, a man's got five senses, a snake's got six. And I'm thinking, they see dead people? <laughs> <laughs> they have they have smission. The smell and vision. <laughs> and, well, uh, the sixth sense a snake's got is it's got a pouch in its mouth for uh, stashing cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what's established as the best writer of promos for the 90s pay-per-views. Cocaine, HGH, and a bit of weed. (laughs) And uh, another good pop for uh, Jake on his way out. And uh, so, yeah, before we start the match, I forgot to mention this is a blindfold match because for people who doesn't know about the feud, basically uh, Jake Snake, uh, sorry, Rick Martel blinded one of Jake's eyes. Uh, with his um, perfume, what was it called again? Arrogance. Uh, arrogance, that's And, yeah, and uh, Jake went round with a white contact and one eye, proclaiming he was blind. Oh, you still they got were brilliant. Left. <laughs> they, were, they were brilliant contact lenses. I love them. When he hit that DDT on Brother Love, and he's yeah, there yeah. just, like, looking, thinking, it's, uh, to be fair, I think I liked it because it reminded me of Kane. <laughs> <laughs> 
that, that was that was such good kind of old school storytelling. Yes, yeah. it was brilliant, and it went on five months. Yes, and um, that, you know they uh, feuded up uh, Survivor Series uh, on opposite teams, and also you know uh, during Royal Rumble when Jake entered when Martel was in the ring, Martel was playing that chicken shit eel, and uh, that was the one thing which I'll note later on. Like Rick Martel, like uh, I used when I was a child watching the videotapes, I thought it was good, but going back and basically came into his own pretty much from. SummerSlam Survivor Series, and he was such a good heel, which we'll talk about in this match because uh, it's the infamous blindfold match. And I just written down on this match, it's just Panto, and I absolutely yeah. love this match. I thought it was so good. The thing is, though, if it had had a British Panto crowd there, they'd have told him, they'd have told Jake exactly where Martel was. Yeah, it, that, he's behind you. Was useless. Is he over there? And they don't tell him he's moved. They're like, keep going, keep going, even though he's gone. <laughs> Just another way that American culture is sorely lacking. No panto. Yeah. It would have helped Jake Roberts out so much. I wrote exactly the same thing down. All it was missing was, he's behind you. Yeah. I mean, for me, though, um, watching it back, it kind of threw me out of the story when I saw the ref checking the blindfolds. Uh, and he puts his hand up inside Jake's blindfold, and you can see his fingers. Like there's a massive like area in the blindfold where Jake can clearly see what's going on. And he's like, "It he weren't really blindfolded. What the hell is going on here?" They but, didn't yeah. predict HD TV, did they? No, that's it. In 4K, <laughs> it stands out. You can see the the whites of his eyes. <laughs> The white of one eye. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and the yeah. trouble is, if you can't believe that's true, then then maybe it's other things on the card aren't true either. Yeah. Maybe well, Slaughter wasn't an Iraqi sympathizer. <laughs> one of my favourite spots, and it's the first time someone successfully dodged an Irish whip. Uh, Martel's Irish whip served Jake to the ropes, and he's waiting to like back body drop him, and Jake just casually strolls beside him and. Martel's reaction is like, where is he? <laughs> and he's like, shit. <laughs> but Martel was so good in this match, just like pacing up and down the floor. Now, this is it's the type of match you can, well, like, unless you haven't watched it for a while, it's the only type of match you can watch once. But I, I don't know what it got on the Observer and Dave, Dave Meltzer and these God knows uh, Bar uh, Barney ratings. But I absolutely love this match. I thought it was so good. Yeah. It what was a scream. Yeah, what got me about it though, it, it took like three quarters of the match for, for Jake to clock on that if he made some noise and then moved slightly out of the way, it could goad Rick Martel in. Uh, why did you not do that from the beginning? And uh, before we got to the end of the match, I did uh, make a note that uh, I saw the super fan at ringside, uh, Fladmer. Uh, I don't know if you noticed him. Uh, there, Fladme, he was like a uh, tall dark guy, and uh, he was at every he was in WCW events and he was at WWF events, he was there like every week. And all I kept thinking was, I wonder what ever happened to Vladimir because he was always on every show you watched. And apparently, someone tracked him down and they asked him the question, like, why was how did you how was he able to afford to go to every show? And all he kept saying was, Man, I just save up and work hard. So, is is that the, that version of the lamb shirt guy? Yeah, basically. I think he follows me on Twitter, the Florida wrestling fan or something like that. Right. And uh, at the end of the match came when uh, Jake hit that DDT and uh, the one, two, three, uh, 
And yeah, then he brought uh, Damien out, and uh, but uh, <laughs> Martel was able to get away. But uh, yeah, just a fun match, and I just enjoyed it. It was a bit of a violent rag around Damien, though, wasn't it? I thought he was going to stand yeah. on him at one point. He swallowed the cocaine, so we were angry at him. <laughs> I think we, I mean, I, I forgot this in my notes. We did actually get a he's behind you. It was from Bobby Heenan. Yeah. Just yelling at Rick Martel. He's behind you, he's behind you. <laughs> there was great commentary in this match. In, in that spot where you're saying about the Irish whip, where uh, Martel puts his head down, Gorilla Monsoon saying, what, what did he think was going to happen? You know, it's cause <laughs> the best case scenario would have been to just run into him, <laughs> knock him over. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to the uh, backstage and we see Marley Maples and uh, she's with uh, the Nasty Boys, Earthquake, Mounty, and Dina Bravo who's celebrating the Nasty Boys uh, victory. Uh, I could only imagine the smell of the BO in that dressing room. <laughs> oh, it was just uncomfortable, wasn't it, watching that that poor woman having to be stuck in the middle of them. Yeah, Jesus uh, Christ. She's been in worse situations. <laughs> Well, considering she's married to Donald Trump, she's probably been in a lot worse situations. But I, I, I just wrote down for this segment, uh, champagne and sexual harassment. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't even think she asked or, or got the answer to any questions at all. She was just literally in the middle of, of a lot of blokes slapping each other, pouring champagne and, and laughing. Just the, the amount of laughing. It's just not yeah. everything was overly funny like that, I don't think. But yeah, it was a weird situation for it to be in. They emptied out half of Damien's bag before they... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so we get there next match, and it's the dead man, and he is against The Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Oh. And <laughs> you murdered me with that joke. Well, I, I, I've let Just like his missus. Thank you, Mags, that's where I was going. <laughs> I've let down alleged murder fly versus The Undertaker. Murder, 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 fly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, the first uh, WrestleMania appearance for The Undertaker and also making his debut on pay per view is. Uh, and he is against uh, Superfly. Uh, did you know that the original, uh, apparently, the original planned opponent for The Undertaker was actually uh, Otugas, the tugboat? Former anyway. WWF champion? I, I was I was surprised at this match though because it turned out to be the piss break match because did you see how fast the seats en- emptied? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know they went on to the most iconic streak in WrestleMania and it started on the piss break. Yeah. How many people will be kicking themselves because they missed that? Mm. I did yeah. notice that there were loads. There were a few close ups of just like kids in the crowd looking absolutely terrified. Which was yeah. quite, an, which was a good touch, because I, I relate to that. Because my first wrestling show in about ninety four or ninety five, it was in Sheffield, and one of the few things I remember was being shit scared of the Undertaker. Oh, <laughs> it's something you so do I can relate miss. to that. <laughs> it's something we miss, though, like actual terrifying characters. Even though uh, the Fiend can be terrifying, I can imagine for kids especially, like if they're like you know six, seven-year-olds, if they're watching WD says and The Fiend first appeared, I can, imagine, I can only imagine they must have been terrified when he first came about. <laughs> I have to say, though, with his outfit, with his sleeves cut off and the weird, you know, the black marigolds and the dodgy grey boots, if I was, at my, I was at my nan's funeral last week, and if The Undertaker turned up dressed like that, we'd have told him to fuck off for being unprofessional. <laughs> you can't officiate a funeral looking like that. Having said that, Dan, in, I just remembered in the... Um... You know, they do the interview with Paul Bearer and The Undertaker. The Undertaker's mm. actually measuring up Gene Oakland for a coffee. I love that. 
yeah, yeah, I absolutely love that. Time he's ever lived the gimmick. <laughs> but yeah, um, um, he, he does it later on in the show as well, doesn't he? With uh, Regis, I think uh, him and, uh, and Paul. Yeah, him and Paul, uh, Paul Baron, because Paul had that very kind of plasticine looking face back then, where he put on way too much foundation, and his eyes were really dark. And he, yeah, they were they were measuring up uh, uh, Regis filming because they were trying to be funny, and they were just absolutely no selling him. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was just basically uh, glorified uh, squash match essentially. Yeah, Superfly. Uh, with a few uh, moves, but uh, yeah, Dead Man buried him with a tombstone. So, uh, and I think uh, Superfly, I think we see him sporadically over the next few pay per views, but uh, pretty much this is near enough the end of him there uh, for a while. So, uh, and the beginning of The Undertaker. So, um, yeah, it, it kind of shows though how much kind of faith that they had in Undertaker because back then Superfly Snooker was a big deal. He, he was a, a big fan favorite. So, to put over someone who's been in the company. Four months, five months, uh, with a win over uh, Snooker. Yeah, it shows that they had uh, they had big plans for him. And obviously, now we know that those those plans meant he was one of the best gimmicks in the world. Yeah, and uh, we get to the next segment, and it's time for the main event. I wrote down <laughs> the Macho Man and uh, the Ultimate Warrior. Um, so yeah, we see uh, the promo package, and uh, my favorite one at the Royal Rumble with. Uh, Sherry and the warrior. She's on her knees. The camera pans to the warrior. <laughs> His expression. No. <laughs> my favorite fans when she dropped to her knees. The fans actually started cheering. <laughs> it's the it's the mouth shit that gets me. It's like <laughs> you see all that like, the bits of like spit and phlegm coming out, and then no. Do you remember watch? Do you remember Blade, the, the first Blade movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right at the end, where he gets jabbed with the uh, the coagulant, and he's just like that, just like swelling up. I was expecting his head explodes. I was expecting that to happen to Warrior. That's that, that <laughs> pretty much every thing. Warrior promo, though. I think you could just say that about every single promo he's ever done. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, though, with Sherry here, she was kind of the 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 promo ability. She was the um, sex appeal or whatever, especially with the um, there and you know the way she was dressed. She she was taking bumps like a champ during the match. Um, it's just incredible, you know. Sort of as a kid, you sort of focused on the whole macho man and Elizabeth thing and, and kind of ignored that. But the performance Sherry put in for this whole rivalry was amazing. This yeah. match, this this match would not have worked without Sherry yeah. at all. She was yeah, completely right. fantastic. Just, I've, it always amazes me and baffles me how women can wrestle and take bumps and do all of that in heels. Like, yeah. just, it's just well, she insane. Did. She kicked her heels off, ready to to do the top rope move. Oh come on, Mags! <laughs> no, but I know don't be, mean, a, she, don't be a, a dick about it. She's a she was a trailblazer, and I don't think she gets the kind of the the respect that she should get for for doing this stuff back in the 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 eighties and nineties that that you see women uh, wrestlers doing now. Yeah, she, she was is. really laying those kicks in on Savage as well. Mm. Yeah, uh, sorry, on the Warrior. Yes, she's uh, so underrated, and um, yeah, I've, she's always been one of my favorite matches. And as a kid, 
Like when you used to watch, like say Hogan <laughs> going to manhandle there as a kid, you was like, "Oh, go on, Hogan," um, and that tells you how like how good of a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it tells you how good of a job she was doing. She wanted uh, children to support domestic abuse. <laughs> Just, the weird violence. thing is, though, it would have got a cheer if someone would have actually lamped her. The fans would have cheered. But. Um, as they we uh, make the way to the entrances, uh, Bobby Heenan points out Elizabeth in the crowd, and she just looked like, you know, where you're so used to her wearing these like big dresses, like when she was uh, accompanying um, Macho to the ring, where she was just wearing like a, a baggy jumper. She just looked like a normal like audience member, <laughs> like there was nothing <laughs> special. It, 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 was, it was so glittery. It was just yeah. literally. A hundred percent. Even even the 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 skin tight jeans you were wearing were just a hundred percent sequins. Mm. On that um, entrance, on Sher- on Sherry and Macho's entrance, the th- three guys at the front carrying the, the the palanquin or whatever it is, the dude in the middle. I was look. I actually paused it and I was trying to figure out who it was for about five minutes. Did you guys actually see that? He was he was a dude. He looked like imagine Val Kilmer now, but with a broken nose and a mullet. I was trying to work out who that was. Was that someone famous? Or... No, I couldn't find it for the life of me. I was looking, I was googling it, trying to figure out who it was. I just could not for the life of me figure it out. I was hoping, I was wondering if either, if any of you guys had, had looked and I had remember. no clue who he is. No clue. Yeah. He looked distinctive. It looked as if he should, was, should remember him, but no. Broken, broken nose meet Ed Val Kilmer. Yeah, pretty distinctive. Yeah. <laughs> These days, when you see someone uh, like on the elaborate entrances. And you see, like, the extras in the background. Normally, a couple of years later, that person ends up becoming, like, NXT champion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, that's what I was presuming one of these. I thought it's one of these, like, a future WWE champion. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they made the uh, big entrance on the uh, double throne, which was great to watch. And also, uh, Warrior made his entrance. And this is the, probably the first time and possibly the only time he actually just walked to the ring, which it felt so weird, especially like with the music. And I mean, I know they tried to play it like, you know, this is a really serious match. And on his trunks, like here, well, on his knee pads, there was a picture of him and Savage. And on his trunks, it was like, at the front, it was like, this means more. And on his <laughs> ass, it said, then this, the WWE Championship. So yeah. and I fact, couldn't help. Those trunks are actually now on sale on eBay for like £7,000. Well. So- and the big one, no ring worn apparently. Okay, uh, but, but yeah, it's interesting that it was allowed to kind of shit on the WWF title like that, um, yeah. especially oh. when like, Vince was so protective of the champion. Hmm. Did you did you hear the lining commentary that Bobby Heenan said? Because he he was sort of casting doubt and starting the conspiracy that it wasn't the Warrior. He was saying, you know, the Warrior it always that this isn't the Warrior. And that was just before that big rumour went round that they'd replaced the Ultimate Warrior with someone else. Yeah. So it's like, I've never even noticed that before. Did did WWF actually plant that conspiracy themselves? Yeah, just to, just to get that buzz and that controversy. Yeah. Come back in four episodes time where we see the Texas Tornado dress up as the Ultimate Warrior to save Hulk Hogan from Papa Shango. <laughs> <laughs> Texas Tornado is like, literally like an Aldi version of Warrior. <laughs> so as we uh, get to the match, uh, the first thing I did write down was like the fans were wild for this match, and um, for good reason. Like two of the all-time greats, and like we said, with Sherry at ringside, 
one of the most underrated managers of all time. Um, this was a good match, and um, <laughs> one thing I wrote down we was on about sharing the sex appeal. Uh, Warrior fell out to the ringside. And the cameraman got the perfect position because when Sherry bent down to hit him, he was cameraman was like right position behind it, and I was like, "Good lads." <laughs> what uh, Bobby Heenan said at that point, that's I've written it down. He said, um, uh, "Let's look at Sherry with a view from our rear cameraman." <laughs> he was so good, weren't he, Bobby Heenan? So quick. Yeah. He's uh, the greatest, and uh, I think I said last time, didn't I, Max? Like last time when we, we done all these shows, um, I said, how can you imagine, like, if Bobby Heenan was about today and he never had his health problems and he had a podcast, it would be the number one, especially if Gorilla was with him as well, but just can you imagine the Bobby Heenan podcast? It would just be must-listen every day or every week. So, Absolutely. Such, such a great man. And, uh, yeah, and uh, there was the infamous spot where uh, Macho Man landed five uh, elbow drops and uh, the Warrior kicked out. Uh, they beat New Japan to the punch for that, didn't they? <laughs> it's not allowed Warrior to, to no sell finishing moves. But even after that, he um, the Warrior started talking to his gods and deciding to leave. Why have yeah. you forsaken me? Yeah. His, his gods are thick as fuck. <laughs> Surely you'd have done that before the five moves, you know, not after. Yeah. The thing is, exactly. that, thing is that, that five elbow drops in the kick out, that laid the framework for modern wrestling except now it's five five phoenix splashes in the kick out at one yeah. and, and then 20 canadian destroyers in a row yeah. just to leave on the, the building on the, on yeah, the ring rolling road. down the aisle yeah. the one that actually got me was when warrior caught savage off the uh, the top rope cross body just plonked him down on his feet and just give him a slap yeah i loved that slap yeah <laughs> and that. uh there's a weird end into the match, really, because, uh, well, he went for the Warriors splash and um, Savage kicked out, but then the match came where he'd done, like, three shoulder t- charges, and on each shoulder charge, sent Savage to the ri- out out the ring, basically, and he brought him in each time, and on the third attempt, he, you know, knocked Savage out, brought him back in, and, uh, yeah, got the pin, which was kind of weird. I thought, you know, it would have been better if he just done, like, another Warriors splash, but for like that sort of victory, it was it was kind of weird how the match actually ended. Um, but I suppose the big talking point was um, afterwards. Uh, well, like we mentioned earlier, Sherry uh, put the boots in on Savage, and uh, her meal ticket was gone. Oh, what I also forgot to mention, which I don't think is no secret, this match was career-free career. So, Matchman's career is officially over. But when has that ever happened? <laughs> the rest of things, Tell uh, that to his WCW run. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, and uh, Sherry like attacks him, and then Lisbeth comes from the crowd and uh, makes a save. And uh, there's the one point where uh, Savage turns around, and he thinks Elizabeth's the one who's been beating him up, <laughs> which I found hilarious. And uh, eventually they uh, kiss and make up. And a uh, few fans in the crowd, I think they was plants, but apparently, so people said that there was actual fans in attendance that was actually crying and. Uh, it's one of the most iconic moments, like Savage and Liz uh, making up, basically. So, uh, how did you feel like going back and watching that? And, and just to remind you as well, this led to one of the greatest storylines of all time, because now they're married in K. Now they get married in kayfabe, and that means yeah. that years later in WCW they can get divorced in kayfabe. And this is yeah. where Liz gives Ric Flair Randy's uh, Randy's uh, credit card, and rather than phoning up to uh, cancel the card. 
um, Ric Flair spending on it for weeks. He's always there at the uh, like uh, front row, the little table with a bottle of champagne because he's got the VIP section that the Macho Man's paying for. And none of that would have happened if uh, they hadn't got married. <laughs> See, the, the levels. And you, you, you talked about uh, the, having potential plants in the crowd. You know, I don't think that they were because... Elizabeth was massively popular in 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 this time in WWF. I mean, she was up there with the likes of Hogan in popularity. So I dare say a lot of the fans were genuinely like so happy that they 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 would burst out into tears because of it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a feel good moment leading to what happens at, at, at SummerSlam. Um, but yeah, the, I I just wish he would have just. Stuck one right on a snap box when he when he threatened to just to see what the crowd's pop would have been like. <laughs> I just I, had a uh, massive smile on my face at the end of this match as well, yeah, which yeah. is just that moment, Macho and Liz. And it's not the first time I've seen it either. Yeah. You know, I've watched it a couple of times, but it never fails to bring just a. It's just a moment of joy, isn't it? And I think you're right, Mags. I, I fully believe it that they were people they picked out in the crowd. And I think who were crying. this uh, this time in. In real life, they were going through a lot of problems, weren't they? Uh, Macho was really kind of possessive, and and he, there were rumours that he'd lock her away in, in uh, the uh, locker room so she she couldn't like talk to the other wrestlers. But yet they come to this show, and they're so good with the characters that you believe that these guys were were madly in love when really they were they were struggling. Well, I think um, I'm sure I heard that at this point. Um... Savage was legit thinking of retiring and he actually wanted at this point to actually settle down and actually start a family with Liz, like having kids. And uh, you'll notice as well, this is when the part where he basically started stop taking steroids because of it. And the next time we do see him wrestle is when he's basically wearing like the full gear, like top and uh, yeah. basically. Um, but yeah, it's weird, like, because it wouldn't be so long after this, like you said, the fact they would actually end up getting divorced and that. And uh, but it was a great moment when I spoke to Jimmy Jacobs, he actually said this was his favorite match from the 90s. And when he left Ring of Honor, he tried to do the same sort of segment, him and uh, Lacey, he was like he's on again, off again partner in Ring of Honor. So, uh, it tells you like not only the fans love it, like, even like people involved in wrestling loves it. So Great moment, and uh, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it more later on. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> this is basically the halfway point of the show, and we see uh, Grillard speaking to Bobby Heenan, and uh, he asks him about the situation, and <laughs> Heenan comes out with a line there, I would rather have money than a skirt, because money buys the skirts. <laughs> yeah. But then the little kind of like like shrug of when he said it's like as if that's the actual truth he would i genuinely think he would rather have the money the way he kind of reacted to it yeah it was it was a a very clever witty line from from bobby again and um yeah we uh, mentioned it earlier the part where um segment where taker starts measuring up uh, regis for his uh, coffin did Um, we uh I was just going to say with that Bobby Heenan um, thing, there's the um, there's a the I, I don't know why WWF thought this was a good idea. Um, they keep dropping little references to the Rodney King beatings, mm, and it's right. like you yeah. know we know how to handle law and order, and, and this was three weeks after the Rodney King wow. beatings, and it's like it, just to be so yeah. tone deaf. Was, was it was it something like oh uh, someone in the bushes with a camera got it on, and you're like oh that's that's 
close to the bone. Oh, that's what that was. There's I a... didn't. I didn't. I knew. It, I knew it was something, but I just couldn't pluck it out of my brain. Jesus Christ! It was a bit later when Mister Perfect says that he's not going to let the. He's not going to um, give the big boss man fifty three free hits. Mm-hmm. Which you know, it's, it's just disgusting. Um, sorry, I know I've brought the tone down, but um, yeah, I, I, you... that, I, I completely missed that. So wow, I didn't even pick up on that. Um, but yeah, um, and then um, what do you call it next? Uh, see, it's um, Fuji, and uh, he's with um, Demolition cutting a uh, shouty promo. So, uh, what did you think of it? I thought this was the best promo in the history of wrestling. Uh, <laughs> Barry Darso is just, he's the best in F, he's the best wrestler ever. No, just me then. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry, mate. You're on your own with that one. It was, yeah. yeah, it was, but it was, it was just another shouty '80s promo. I think that's how many is that now? Five, four or yeah. five, six. And, and and I think just before we got this promo, though, we got the uh, the um, the bit with uh, Alex Trebek where he was talking to uh, to uh, Tenru and and Kato, where it was so casually racist. It's unreal. oh god, it was. <laughs> It was absolutely awful. I wrote yeah. down a couple of the. It's when, it's when he said. I think this. I think this was Regis again, not not Trebek. I think we had two Regis. Um, it, 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 could you? You were out. I think it he was said, Regis. He, yeah. He yeah. said, "Speak any English, Yeah. And then he starts then, just saying Toyota, Isuzu, and this is you, Tenryu, me, Regis. Like, is, will you just fuck off? Isuzu's like South Korean, so it's not even Japanese. Uh, it's, oh god, it's so even worse. <laughs> yeah, just but yeah, it was this match didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, I know that WWE, uh, WWF at this time were trying to like uh, have a working relationship with SWS, but yeah, it just it just was a, a time filler more than anything. And it wasn't even much time; it was about four minutes. But it was yeah. the, the most interesting thing about this match um, was just that it involved Kitao and what Kitao did like eight days later. Yeah. When he uh, for SWS when he when he was um, refusing to sell for Earthquake and tried to gouge Earthquake's eyes out, and then just got on the mic telling him wrestling's fake and Earthquake's shit and he'd never beat him in a real fight. <laughs> Absolutely it. insane. But then it's, but then apparently it turns out that um, Great Kabuki, who was one of the SWS bookers, had, had told Earthquake to stiff Kitao to try or asked him to stiff Kitao to try and get him to flare up his temper and. And give him a reason to kick him out. Well, and uh, one of the things that they know uh, when they was introducing Katal, <laughs> Bobby Heenan, Hantel, <laughs> and uh, and Gene Oakland didn't know Katal's name. He knew Tenru, and he's like, "Yeah, Tenru, Tenru." But whenever Katal was in the ring, he's like, "Yeah, that guy." <laughs> and when it when it got announced, he's like, "Yeah, Katal, Katal." One of the ones that got me was when this um, Gorilla Monsoon's trying to make a point. He says, do you know that what it takes to become a master, you know, a, a grandmaster at sumo? And Bobby Heenan just chimes in with, yeah, you've got to eat, you've got to eat 11 bowls of rice in an hour with one chopstick. I'm thinking, I'm there just going, it's one of those things where you laugh at now, but he's like, fucking hell, that really. But he just came out with it like that. And it's just like, you're there just going, Jesus, but at the same time, just... 
it was definitely it was definitely like a sign of the times where that was like that kind of casual racism was way more acceptable. But yeah, Jesus Christ, yeah. this <laughs> match showed just the, the 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 very unsubtle racism towards Japanese. The the only generous way you can say it is it was of its time, but yeah. it was just. Like looking at it, obviously with twenty twenty hindsight, literally twenty twenty hindsight, you just want to curl up into your own ass like an armadillo. It's that cringe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, also, um, <laughs> we spent so much time talking about Tenru and Katal. They are against Demolition, who's uh, Chris and Smash. And uh, yeah, uh, Katal and Tenru wins. Um, and this is the uh, last ever appearance of uh, Demolition on pay per view or even on the mainstream TV. I suppose um, a tear we- shedding a tear. Yeah, well, think about it. I mean, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. And, like, when um, WWE, uh, WWF signed Legion of Doom, Road Warriors, all signs pointed to Demolition Road Warriors at uh, Mania, which it never happened. Uh, it wasn't drawing that well, apparently, on the, like, on the live shows. But um, for Demolition, obviously, I know it wasn't Axe because he left a couple of shows ago, but it was still, like, Smash Barry Dasso and Crush. Uh, but such a legendary tag team and just to go out on such a whimper like a four minute match um just you know it was just quite sad to see really um but yeah it's the end of demolition but they will be on to uh bigger and better things uh old repo man and uh kona Crush brother so uh exactly what barry darso deserved rude <laughs> <laughs> not ken ken is shit let's just say that then he's not for everybody but i like him <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, from one of Mag's favorites to another one of Mag's favorites because with Gene Oakland and he's with the uh, big boss man. So, uh, no, whoa, 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 that is besmirching. This is Tolly's favorites. Tolly is, ha- is the boss man, Mark. I actually wrote in my notes in brackets, shout, I put shouty 80s promo from boss man in brackets. Did Tolly jizz <laughs> when you just did that? Whoa, 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 Mags. I thought you were about to say Badlands now has merch. <laughs> this is the shittiest crossover episode ever. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Bobby Union and uh, Mr. Perfect uh, does a promo afterwards, and uh, yeah, um, basically like insults his mama and things like that. And uh, it was a good promo from them too. And this feud's been uh, building up for a little bit, really, because. Uh, once um, Bossman turned face, he kind of worked his way through the uh, Heenan family, wrestling the likes of Haku and uh, wrestled Barbarian at the uh, Royal Rumble. So this was the prize jewel of um, the Heenan family, like the Intercontinental Championship being held by Mr. Perfect. And uh, yeah, so because uh, uh, Bobby Heenan is managing this match, we got another uh, new commentary member and it's... One of my favourites, uh, Lord Alfred Hayes. Uh, was you ever a fan of Alfred Hayes? Oh, I was a massive Alfred Hayes fan. Um, I think we've got to call him Judo Jack Hayes from uh, World of Sport. But um, no, I mean, he, he, he was he was he was brilliant with it with his bumblingness and not knowing what was going on and getting everything wrong. Um, he, he just made being dizzy into a gimmick and it was just so so lovable. Yeah, like an endearing Jr. Yeah, but Jr. now. <laughs> and uh like sean mooney like you love the man so much and when you hear sean mooney like tell some stories about alfred Hayes, and he was the one who pushed them forward to like 
uh, getting to the Hall of Fame. Uh, it wasn't like a proper induction, but you know, I think it was on like part of one of the wings. Uh, they do like a, a part of the Hall of Fame now, ain't it? Where it's just like ten or twelve people gets inducted at the same time. But um, I've always loved Alfred Hayes and just these boys and uh, one of my favorite Alfred Hayes shows, which uh, I think is the next show after this. But I, I, I might review. It's not actually a pay per view, but you know the uh, battle rule at Albert Hall. And um, when he's cheering on the bulldog in the battle royal, and uh, he, he, he kind of spoke for like all of us at that time, like like come on, Davey, <laughs> and uh, it was so good. But back to the match though, and uh, the thing I did write down, like Mister Perfect's just bumping like a boss in this match for the yeah. boss man. There, yeah. he was so good. He was probably the best seller in in this this generation of wrestlers. So good at it, made whoever he was wrestling against look way better than they were. Yeah, was... sorry, I'm gone. <laughs> Some of it was a little bit Shawn Michaels, Hulk Hogan. Uh, mm-hmm. There was one bit where he was whipped into the uh, turnbuckle, and he he sort of did a uh, 360 degree flip and ended up uh, prone on the second rope for a uh, 619. It was like, yeah, <laughs> how, how did he end up there from that? Is that the one where he he like jumped onto the second rope and used it as like a springboard, and then did his like 12 flips and landed at the other side of the ring? Yeah, there was another one where he just had his head rammed into the turnbuckle. It wasn't. It was just the actual turnbuckle. It hadn't been taken off or anything, and he sort of flung himself backwards, did a half twist in midair, and then ended up on his back. It was brilliant. I just absolutely loved seeing that. It really did sell it. it just, just absolutely awesome. One thing I did notice as well was um, Bossman did the. He got whipped into the corner. He slid under, ran round yeah. to the other side, came in and went for the clothesline. Yeah, so, so Baron, good so at that. Baron Corbin's a thieving bastard. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've said, well, like Keenan, he was pretty good here. Like just these fan interactions and like just basically shitting on uh, boss man like outside the ring. He was so good. And uh, as the match like nears its end. Um, Andre the Giant comes out, which is the first time we've seen him for a while, and uh, he hits uh, Mr. Perfect with the um, icy title, uh, but fair dues to Perfect, he kicked out of it, and then Haku and Barbarian comes out, causes DQ, and uh, yeah, uh, so Bossman picks up the victory by DQ, but unfortunately, he doesn't become icy champion, uh, but after the match, I noticed, as, um, it was weird, because uh, Andre was making his way back to uh, ringside, Back to backstage, and Bossman came behind him and tapped him. It looked like for a second, like Andre was legitimately pissed, <laughs> like it actually like spooked him when he done it, and he was like, "Whoa!" And the other thing I did notice: now the Bossman's a big guy. What is he? Is he six six, maybe six seven? Yeah, hundred pounds, I would say. I noticed this as well. Andre is not just the height of Andre, but his actual body, like size of his arms. He was like. <laughs> well, he was a giant, <laughs> simple as that. But I'm like, wow, he meant like, I don't know, he meant Bossman like Marcus, didn't <laughs> Did you see really? the handshake? I, I actually thought a different, uh, I went to a different word because obviously we know how tall Andre was meant to be. I thought they were so close in heart that it actually made Andre look like he'd, he'd maybe lost a couple of inches, uh, whether that were like uh, him, him getting older and, and, and the, the disease that he, he had. Uh, kind of working against him, but yeah, I thought I was kind of like shocked how close they were uh, in heart. I, I, I think, think I think he was quite bent over. Um, yeah, perhaps. 
Although um, you said he hit him with the IC title, I thought he hit him with uh, Willie Nelson's uh, foam belt. It was that. <laughs> yeah. sold I was just gonna. <laughs> I was about to bring that up. That title looked so tiny in Andre's hand. Mm-hmm. And you say about the size dis- uh, disparity between him and Bossman. If you just looked at the handshake, yeah, Bossman's yeah. a huge man. He's going to have huge hands. Yeah, it was Andre made it look like he was shaking hands with a with a cat. Just... Yeah. I mean, that was the thing I was looking at the most, like the size of Andre's hands. And uh, I, I don't know if I told the story. I think it was in the Brit Arts book, which if you're a wrestling fan, it's the best wrestling book ever written, uh, I personally believe. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Brit Hart, Mark. I'm saying it because it's truthful. It's the best wrestling book ever. And I, I, I might have these facts wrong in a way, but it's, uh, you know, it's around about the same. So it was rather, um, I think it, they rather told like a young referee or someone told Brett. And um, Brett basically said, if you walk on the balcony, Andre will keep his uh, curtains open. And if you walk by it, you'll be in for a surprise. So it was rather Brett who walked by, or it was a young referee. And they saw Andre with like a, you know, a woman and <laughs> in bed. And they said, uh, Brett said it resembled a uh, lion ball in a rabbit. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's the legend of Andre the Giant. <laughs> the next thing we see, uh, another big guy, um, <laughs> the earthquake <laughs> against uh, Greg Down of Valentine. And um, this is, uh, I reviewed, when I done my last pay per view, the Royal Rumble, uh, when <laughs> my words were when uh, Hogan <laughs> threw out <laughs> Earthquake, he's threw him out the Royal Rumble and he's threw him out the main event and back into the mid card. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I love the earthquake, and I, I you know, another underrated wreck. Uh, but he's against Valentine, and Valentine for the past couple of years has pretty much been lower mid cards. And I personally think Valentine had so much stuff in this match. Like, on earthquake should have squashed him within like a couple of minutes, and like Valentine had him on the ropes for a while. And um, what did you think? Well, they had to cheat to beat. Um, you know, Jimmy Hart was there helping him cheat and stuff, and it just seems so unfair to cheat against Greg Valentine when he's so <laughs> overwhelmingly overmatched. Yeah, <laughs> and and this is a. I still get like surprised how young Earthquake was at this time. I mean, was he like mid to late twenties at this age? And he, the dude looks like about forty-five year old. Yeah, twenty-eight, I think he was at this point. <laughs> so, uh, but my but. I'm just going to say, just before we actually uh, like get to the actual match, this is where you see a lot of Donald Trump. I think he uh, has a bit of a uh, chat with uh, with Mean Gene, and then Chuck Norris, the the arse licking brown nosing fucker, up Donald Trump's arse. Yeah, just that annoyed me. Uh, and then was it uh, was it Henry Winkler who was there as well? The Fonz. Yeah, I and, and Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, and Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the opposite about Chuck Norris because. WWE never, especially in this era, never used to want to acknowledge that anything else existed. And Chuck Norris just comes on screen and, and reels off Gorgeous George and Argentina yeah. Rocco and Professor Tanaka. And Vince McMahon must have been bursting a blood vessel at this point. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, yes, I, I've seen the best wrestlers in the world and none of them wrestled for you. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm watching this show as <laughs> My problem with this match was that I can't look at Greg Valentine now without thinking of a way I heard him described by... um, It's a podcast called Crime in Sports. 
Um, I think you know it, Rob. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Um, and they were doing a wrestling episode. I can't remember what they were talking about, but they're talking about Greg Valentine and, and James Petrigello, one of the hosts, had seen Valentine and described him as somebody's middle-aged stepmom that the dad met at a bowling alley. He was a ringer on the team, smokes like a chimney and can outdrink most pe- most men in any given bar. <laughs> middle-aged stepmom is so accurate. Who's <laughs> <laughs> the dad's player? Who's the biggest female dad's player? But <laughs> one of my favorite things. Yeah, don't, think... don't let, don't you dare compare Greg Valentine to Fallon Cherokee, you heathen. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I've always loved the earthquake, you know, what he done was always his double bicep pose. <laughs> yeah, and he had no muscle. <laughs> he looked like he looked like Baymax. Yeah, Earthquake. <laughs> Never had so much fun talking about an Earthquake patch. At least he didn't have a sweaty <laughs> patch on his earthquake. arse this time. Oh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, Earthquake wins with the uh, Earthquake splash. Uh, so that's another WrestleMania victory for him. So he's actually uh, 2 0 at Mania. So uh, good for him. Um, so, yeah, we get to the uh, next segment. And it's uh, Sean Mooney's with the uh, Legion of Doom. And um, I think I got that right, yeah. And uh, yeah, for people thinking um, why they're facing Power and Glory and not chance for the titles, apparently a few weeks beforehand there was a tag team battle royal and the Power and Glory cost Legion of Doom in it. So that's what led to this match. And uh, the easiest way to put this is just a squash match. Um, it finished within a couple of minutes, but the real no, reason... I, one. I think it was that 50-odd seconds I got it to. Yeah. And uh, the reason for it, it was because uh, both Paul Roma and Hercules and Anders uh, were actually injured going into the match. Um, I think Hercules had a problem with his knee. And Paul Roma, Glory, if you look at his uh, elbow, he's got it wrapped up, uh, bandaged up really bad. Uh, apparently, he said he could barely move it. So they said they wasn't going to do it, but they was already booked to do it. And Fence said to him, I need you to do it. So uh, they went out and done it and they delivered at least some sort of a match. So it was hard to judge really there. Which I mentioned it earlier at uh, Battle Royal Albert Hall. They had a match with Legion Doom, which is like not a bad match. It was actually a pretty insane match. So uh, yeah, quick match for the uh, LOD and they had uh, one, two, three for them. And uh Next, we see it's the promo package for uh, Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, and uh, Virgil. So uh, this has been a sl- slow build because um, I think we mentioned this, Rob, on that episode one at the Royal Rumble 90, like after they um, defeated the Rhodes family, there, there was a bit of a hint that Virgil was getting frustrated with DiBiase back then. And now we're like basically five pay-per-views later, it's finally come to fruition. So what did you think of this promo package and the slow pace time for Virgil? Well, I've got some big theories about this whole feud, um, which I actually think um, is incredibly long-running. Um, I mean, they did, it did, it did, um, they did build it for ages, and, and that was brilliant. But um, if I can just sort of summarise when I get to the end, because it all fits in with the Piper stuff as well. Yeah. Well, my big takeaway from the whole video package was that I was just confused that people were cheering for Virgil. I think that's more credit. I've never heard it, I've never heard it before. <laughs> I think that's more credit for Ted DiBiase getting you to cheer for Virgil. <laughs> I didn't understand why he didn't have a merch table in front of him. 
Yeah, nobody <laughs> queuing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for that for that one moment in history, though, uh, Virgil did seem like a big deal. Um, it, it went off a cliff very quickly afterwards, but you know, just for this rivalry. And um, Roddy Piper is a complete Virgil, even though Howard Finkel announces that Roddy Piper will be in Ted DiBiase's corner <laughs> for some bizarre reason. I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> no, yeah. I didn't. And yeah, uh, but Virgil tonight is not portraying a wrestler. He's actually portraying Muhammad Ali. <laughs> so his, think, pun- uh... his punches were horrific, though. They were, they were so, so bad. Uh, but fair play to Ted DiBiase for selling them. Uh, DiBiase was so good leading this match. And um, just another thing, uh, going back and watching these matches, um, a lot of people think wrestlers during this day were just characters uh which yeah they did have great characters but a lot of them don't realize how good ring work is and how good these people was at telling stories and dibiase um like yeah people acknowledge she was great but i don't think they acknowledge how good of a worker he was and like we said he got people to care for virgil <laughs> and, uh, like in a big way and he was so good um leading this match um but towards the end um Fergio ended up winning um, by count out when uh, DiBiase got distracted by Roddy Piper on the outside. And uh, eventually that led to um, Piper, uh, uh, what caught trying to make the save on uh, Fergio when DiBiase got him in the uh, Million Dollar Dream. And uh, then uh, Sherry came out to join forces with Ted, which she's gone from Savage and now she's joining DiBiase. So she's, you know, made another great step in their managerial career. <laughs> the funniest part, though, I wrote down was when Dave, uh, Freddy Piper was so frustrated, he threw his, uh, one of his crutches and actually hit <laughs> a ref in the dick. Yeah. <laughs> the dick. And, uh, I'm so sorry for Danny Davis. <laughs> um, oh, crutch to the crotch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I actually liked the, the finish as well because they did a callback to uh, to uh, a show what they said was was the day before, I think it was a superstars the day before where uh DiBiase lost then uh to a to a count out. But I actually went back and checked on Cage match and that was filmed like in the middle of February, that match where he where he lost. So yeah, that, that threw me out of kayfabe for a, for a little bit. Uh one thing I I was a bit disappointed with is they had Donald Trump there at ringside and I think they missed a trick of having like a little bit of interaction between uh, Trump and Ted DiBiase, like they could have almost played off the the Spider Man meme where it's two people pointing at each other, like we're the same kind of thing. <laughs> One thing you say about Trump being at ringside, I couldn't get a clear look at who was sat to the left of Trump, but the flash of his face, I could say, and I'm not taking the piss of just trying to be controversial when I say this, it genuinely looks like it could be Jeffrey Epstein. Well, Perhaps. I, I at WrestleMania 4, he was sat next to uh, Robert um, um, Libotti, who was a gangster. So right. if, if it's, um, you know, who Trump then claimed he'd never even met. But he sat, the whole, he sat next to him for the whole of WrestleMania 4, and there's a picture of him giving, giving him a massive novelty oversized check in one of his casinos. So <laughs> he, he definitely did. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if he, he'd moved in those circles as well. And uh, did you say you had something to go back on on the feud and that, uh, Rob? Um, did you say? Oh something? yeah, 
Well, I, 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 and I mentioned this in the DMs, and you said you might kick me off the um, <laughs> thing for saying it. But, but I think the theme of this is, is toxic masculinity because you've got Piper and Virgil just egging each other on. So yeah. Virgil eggs Piper on because Piper's got, you know, a smashed leg from his motorcycle accident, and he's um, shouting him. Tricycle accident. Borahina said it was a tricycle accident. Well, whatever it was. <laughs> he had a broken leg, and Virgil's telling him to man up. You know, be a man and stand up on your broken leg. Yeah. Like, so basically, doctors, nah. Like, medical care, nah. Just, just do it. Just get up, and you can okay. will. You can will yourself. That's what. That's how uh, Dan survived his uh, horrific delivery uh, injury. He just willed himself to carry carry on with it. No, that was Amstel. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you've got Papa took some Amstel. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got the other side of it, with Piper egging Virgil on. So Virgil had this job, and he might not have liked the job, but it was making a lot of money. And you, you know how you can tell a wrestler's making money? It's like what gear they wear. So Virgil's got that little shirt. He doesn't have the sleeves, but he's got the front bit. So Is like, he saving up the, for the sleeves? Well, think about it, right? The Undertaker and Sting have the full-length jackets, like the full-length leather jackets. So they're like the top of the pile. Triple H is married into money. He's got just an ordinary leather jacket. So, you know, he's doing all right. Then you get someone like Kip Sabian, who's got his new contract with AEW. He's nearly got the full leather jacket. He's got one arm missing, but he's nearly there. Kashida's got both arms missing because he's not doing quite as good. And Sean Spears just got the lapels. So, what did um, Triple H wearing a denim vest over a leather jacket mean? He was doing quite. He was doing a lot better than Sean Spears, wasn't it? <laughs> but anyway, so, so Virgil's got enough money to buy the front. I think of the I'm doing better than Sean Spears. Enough <laughs> <laughs> money to, to buy that little front of the shirt thing. So he's doing quite well. But Piper's there telling him that he should be a man and stand up for himself. And okay, he has this one good event, but it ruins his career for the. You know, imagine if Virgil had been in Money Inc. We've now got Lonely Virgil at these merch stands. Telling people that Ted DiBiase is going to be saying... it's Piper and Virgil egging each other on. One's destroyed the so other one's Virgil, screw Virgil. <laughs> what do you say? Sorry. I think it's, yeah. Virgil screwed Virgil. I think Piper screwed Virgil. I think that you know if if they hadn't tried to live up to this, be a man sort of thing. You know this dangerous image of masculinity, then they'd have both been fine. I mean, I'm going to kind of blow a little My hole in still theory, I'm still I thought you said be a man. Be a yeah. man. Yeah, Mike has gone a bit weird then. Um, but yeah. Um, I've not touched it. All right. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, Rob's on for a good one there. Uh, yeah, Rob. I, I, I have got like, something to counter it, though. Because they showed a, a promo of uh, Ted DiBiase. Obviously, he had the, the money suit and the shirt and the bow tie. But when he's kicking off because he doesn't get the, the reaction he wants, his front of his shirt falls out like the whole like, rip-away part of it, and he's just left there with just his jacket on. So was he was he like basically living beyond his means then? Quite, quite possibly. And, and that's probably a reflection of how much he was paying Virgil. He's <laughs> going out to make sure he could pay Virgil a, a full and fair wage. 
maybe he should have furloughed him. <laughs> although, well, although it, if if there was a union in wrestling, Virgil could have gone for constructive dismissal rather than hitting his employer and um, getting himself fired, couldn't he? Yeah, and but to be fair, he didn't do too bad out of it because he ended up being in the NWO for a, a long time and did pretty much nothing. Yeah. So we'll get to the next one then, and it's a promo package for uh, Slaughter v. Hogan, and uh, obviously you're not allowed to burn the American flag on uh, TV, so he decided to burn a Hulkamania shirt, which might as well be the American flag. <laughs> so, One thing uh, I, I did know about that was, did they not have no kind of like um, fire retardant material in them? Because that went up like a cat. Literally, <laughs> the, it showed it the, the flame and it set on fire. All them kids must have been absolutely petrified after that. <laughs> take my shirt, take my open shirt. <laughs> Never wear it again. <laughs> but uh, so that was that promo package, and then we see uh, the Mountie against uh, Tito Santana, and uh, <laughs> this was like over in an instant. Uh, the Mountie with the uh, cattle prod for the uh, one, two, three. Uh, I don't think there was much else we could say about that except that the. Uh, Losing streak continues at Mania for Tito Santana. Yeah, so uh, it, it, it's what is it less than a year that the Mountie ends up being Intercontinental Champion as well? So, kind of shows that they had a, a, a some decent enough plans for him as well. Yeah, he was always, I always thought he was entertaining, Shaq Rougeau, like it, part of the Rougeau brothers. Uh, I always <laughs> thought he was great and uh, I enjoyed the Mountie gimmick. and my biggest Mountie uh, memory is at SummerSlam 91, which is the best, next show. Uh, for me, he steals the show that night. So um, we will get to that uh, next time. And uh, next we see uh, Gene Oakland with uh, Hulk Hogan. And do I feel like I write about Hulk Hogan? He is the living embodiment of a uh, hot dog. good. He is a hot dog. <laughs> Is that what the Macho Man meant uh, meant in that uh, promo leading up to was it WrestleMania Five where he said that um, Hogan had been hot dogging around? <laughs> yeah, quite literally. I just thought you meant he was a load of ground up assholes and eyelids in a sausage skin casey. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember that promo. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, it's time for the uh, main event. We're finally here. So uh, fourteen match, uh, thirty matches in. Now we're on the fourteenth. So. Trebek, Marples, and Regis comes out as your guest uh, ringside, and Sergeant Slaughter comes out, and then uh, Champion comes out first, which I've never agreed with, but he comes out, and yeah, Hogan comes out, big pop with uh, carrying the old glory out, and yeah, just pretty typical Hogan match, especially for this USA chance, and. Uh, this was such a boring match; it was just terrible to that, watch. That's that's your anti-Sergeant Slaughter bias coming through there, James. Not anti. It's not yeah. anti, because I used to think that Slaughter was okay to I watched this show. And then yeah. I realised he's a comedy mid-card heel who should never have been champion. It's bizarre, though. Uh, um, a year earlier, the, it was in AWA, and they literally couldn't sell any tickets to the show, so they had to edit a crowd onto the uh, uh, appearance, and then he's in the main event of WrestleMania. It's... Well, yeah, I, I, I did some research for him for uh, an episode of Badlands not long ago, um, and he actually wrote a letter to Vince McMahon 
to get back in the the, the WWF and said he'd, he'd found his kind of a love for wrestling again and he wanted to, uh, like one more shot at the big time and then less than a year later he's, he's WWF champion and it was kind of like just um, a massive like all like a thunderstorm of stuff coming together and it just worked perfectly for him with, him with a desert storm and then uh, the Iraqi stuff and he really didn't want to do it at all. He was like dead set against it but when it's your only chance to be world champion of the WWF, you 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 take what you can. And I thought he he played the character really really well. I know James uh, dislikes it, but I thought uh, for the for the for this sign of the times, he he was the best kind of foil for for that that super American like patriotic Hogan. I, I thought it worked really well. He was the. Um... He was the best option out of the two because it wasn't going to be him if we was going to get chic tugboat. So <laughs> out of the two, <laughs> it was the better option. Can you imagine tugboat as the wrestling federation champion? <laughs> um, wow. But during this match, there was one part where uh, you had the Boston Crab on Hogan, and Hogan is literally inches away from the rope. All he has to do, yeah, put his hand up the side. He kept trying to power out of it as well. Like, and I'm like, the rope's right there, Hogan. Just grab the rope. Well, Regis is on commentary, and he's like, why don't he just reach at the rope? And I'm like, thank you. Someone is speaking, the fa- speaking from the perspective of a fan. Um, speaking, of, speaking of the guests, though, sorry, just to go back. Um, I actually really rated Alex Trebek as a ring announcer. Yeah. There, was just a, there was just a touch of the buffer about him. Um, he did really well. He did really well. Yeah. And Hogan, sorry, just going back to Hogan's entrance as well. I said earlier that something was a, as American as a, a bald eagle with an AR-15. Hogan coming out waving old glory was as patriotic as a bald eagle swooping down with an AR-15 in one claw and apple pie in the other to tell a pregnant woman a health insurance have denied her abortion on religious grounds. Oh, so many references. <laughs> I had to get them all in. So, so just to distract people after all, all of that, did, did anyone notice that Marla Maples had never used a hammer before when she rang the bell? It was like, no. what is this? And she just sort of taps it. It's the worst <laughs> bell ringing of all time. And, uh, yeah, the end of the match comes basically, um, puts the uh, boss, uh, the camel clutch on Hogan, uh, goes to lay the flag on Hogan, uh, goes for the pin. Hogan hooks up, rips the uh, Iraqi flag, which is pretty damn bad. Uh, rips it covered in his own blood as well, though. That you yeah. can't destroy old glory, but fuck the Iraqi flag, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, it was cringe. But at, yeah. at least we got the uh, AEW flash forward with the uh, with the blade in. Felt like an episode <laughs> of that. <laughs> it felt like a mid card rivalry with no need for it. <laughs> <laughs> this this was actually the sort of the exact opposite of of an AEW match. It was just two slow plodding lumps that had the crowd invested because of the story. Whereas most matches I see on AEW is a million flips with no story. <laughs> but there is blood. There is blood. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Hulk hooks up, uh, big boot, leg drop, one, two, three, and yeah, the fans go happy and uh, that's the end of WrestleMania. And I've got a personal theory that. In my opinion, this is Hulk Hogan's last great moment as a babyface in WWF till WrestleMania 18. Because, yeah, don't get me wrong, he still had a pretty good reaction in the main event for the next show. But 
at that point, like especially at Survivor Series, the fans was already starting to turn on him, and at the, there was nothing more evident of that than at the Royal Rumble, which we won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't watched it yet, but it's 30 years ago. Um, but... Yeah, I actually personally think, like, till WrestleMania 18, this is actually probably one of the last moments of him being a beloved babyface. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. I remember, I remember at the time getting to the stage with him where I've just had enough. I thought if I ever saw another Hulk Hogan match, it'd be too soon. Um, although then he kept watching WCW and uh, turned heel, and it was magnificent, but... The concerning thing, though, is they've still milked it out for two more WrestleManias after this. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, yeah, and what do you call it? It's uh, this match. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the fact, well, you would say the fans was investing it, but the problem was a lot of the fans turned against it because, like, WWE, like, taking advantage of a real-life situation, like, hundreds, if not thousands of people dying in war and um like we said it was meant to be in the uh la uh sports coliseum uh however it's pronounced which was a hundred thousand seater and instead they had to move here because i think you only ended up selling like fifteen thousand tickets for that stadium they moved here and fifteen thousand was in attendance but i think they only sold like ten thousand tickets and um yeah it was just it's not a really great angle to play like making light of like real life situations uh so the fans wasn't happy and the other thing was i personally believe this match they could have probably still had this match but i still think they could have had this match without the title and i still believe warrior macho should have been for the title uh have that title fee career stipulation because um as we'll get into it in a minute but um i personally think this was the kind of match what well, didn't need the title, but um, yeah, I didn't enjoy the match. It was a boring um, main event for uh, for Mania. It wasn't a bad Mania overall, but I wasn't too pleased with the main event. But yeah, we'll uh, get to uh, some awards. So uh, I haven't done this for a while. So the first award of the night is your MVP of the night. We'll go to Rob first. Um, well, firstly, I'm, I'm, I'm gutted that we're not discussing that uh, amazing after-show party that uh, Bobby Heenan was um, kept referencing on Primetime Wrestling. Um, there's that 15-minute uh, clip on YouTube. I don't know if you have a chance yeah. to watch it, but it's just bizarre with Coco Beware just randomly singing and <laughs> Vince and Bobby Heenan dancing for no apparent reason. Um, no, MVP of the night would have to be Sherry. I mean, she, she literally sort of covered everything that you'd kind of need um went way above and beyond um uh, and just come uh, you know in many ways may even though they would had a fantastic build and even though the moment with um savage and elizabeth at the end is great i think sherry was kind of the glue that kept it all together yeah cool uh good shot that is and uh, for you max uh your mvp of the night um smash <laughs> no, I think I think uh, Rob absolutely uh, knocked it out of the park with that one. I think this going back over it, she was absolutely superb all night long, involved in in two of the the, the bigger storylines. Really, kind of uh, got you emotionally invested with the 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 uh, Savage and and Elizabeth stuff. Yeah, you I think Rob hit it out of the park, and I've got a I've got a second it. Uh, Sherry was definitely my MVP. 
Cool. Are you making it a free count, Dan, or have you got a different uh, choice? No, I'm sticking with the sticking with Sherry. She was she was my MVP of the night. I mentioned it before. Um, that match just does not work without Sherry, and to to drag an entertaining 20 minute match out of Warrior yeah. is just testament to both Savage and Sherry's skills. But the way she was so physical, the way she laid the kicks in, laid the you know laid the punt, laid the forearms in. You know, you, I could almost believe that she was digging the nails into the back yeah. uh, of Warrior. That felt, looking back, it just felt so ahead of its time. Like I think it was you, James Early, said Trailblazer, and she really wasn't. That was just, it's definitely as a kid. I started watching wrestling about '92, and I did not, to be honest, I didn't appreciate Sherry until the network came out, and I could, I could get to go back and watch it she was just phenomenal and mania seven was sherry at her best yeah um i'm pretty much in agreement i would put her as my second mvp of night because me personally i do even though it's the same match my mvp of night is uh the matcha man um for similar sort of reasons really um like uh the moment um which i'll talk about in a bit but like, um, believe it or not, this is actually Match of Man Randy Savage's longest ever match. <laughs> um, wow. And Warrior, so um, which is crazy to think because Warriors had both uh, Hogan and Savage's longest matches in history, which is crazy to think. Um, so yeah, like I agree with you, uh, but I would pick Match of Man because uh, it was his night, in my opinion, and uh, to have such an entertaining match with Warrior, definitely Warriors best match of his career no doubt about it so um yeah so i'd pick and uh as we talk about matches i suppose uh your match of the night uh rob oh do you want to let max go first so he's not just um saying what i said uh, <laughs> <laughs> how how dare you um we, we've spoke about it. It's uh, the Warrior versus uh, Macho Man. Um, as as a kid, I was a massive fan of both these guys. Uh, I think this match really kind of stands up well, uh, looking at it in uh, twenty twenty hours and, and knowing what we now know about how uh, how bad of a wrestler the Ultimate Warrior really was. It's a massive testament to the skill of Macho Man that he was able to get what's essentially Warrior's best match out of him. It was able to keep you on the edge of your seat in a 20-minute match with Warrior. I think, yeah, this, the, the, then we add in the, 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 the Sherry factor. I think this was a brilliant match. And uh, it, it would, I think it would still work today. If these two wrestlers were still around today, I think this kind of match would really work because it took you on a brilliant emotional journey. So, yeah, I'll go with uh, Macho Man and Warrior. Cool. And uh, for you, Dan, who's your match of the night? Well, just so I'm not just so we're not parroting each other again. Um, the best match of the night is Sav- is Warrior Savage, but I'm actually going to go with Bulldog Warlord because I'm just a sucker for a for a hoss match, and yeah. they just just Bulldog. It's just the sight of Bulldog. The sight of Bulldog getting somebody as big as Warlord up for that power slam. Was yeah. incredible because Bulldog wasn't a small bloke, but Warlord was just enormous, and Bulldog always, almost always, made that power slam look impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Braun Strowman, as big as he is, he can shove his power slam up his ass because nobody does it like Davy. 
No, that's true. And yeah, it was it was just a lot of fun. It brought brought a smile to my face, um, which is all you can really ask, you know, from a wrestling match when uh, when one of your favourites wins. And just yeah, I just really enjoyed it. Cool. And uh, for you, Rob, your match of the night. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm just going to copy Mags uh, and say. Oh wow. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I was on the fence. I was thinking uh, Earthquake and Greg Valentine uh, had a uh, a seven star classic. Um, and it really, really told that story of uh, Greg Valentine being a former Jimmy Hart man, and uh, you know how how it turned against him. Oh. I would met Mag. I would met Mags's dad in a bowling alley. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but, but I mean, that 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 Warrior Savage match was the main event in all, but positioning. Um, you know, it's, it's the thing that you remember. It's the iconic moments. Yeah, it, it definitely has to be up there. And I think one thing that I noticed as well is whilst there's not a lot of properly standout matches, what you could say, like Dave Meltzer, five stars, they didn't overstay the welcome. There was a lot of really short kind of quick matches that, yeah, mean nothing in, in the annals of wrestling time, but they, they didn't stink the joint out. They weren't a match that I'd say, well, that was an absolute dud because if they were poor matches, they were very, very short. Uh, and the the ones that got a little bit of time deserved. They did well with the minutes that they had. So yeah, I, I, this perfume kind of gets a a little bit of grief, but I, I think it's one of it was a a well balanced perfume. Let's put it like that. That was one of my notes. I, I'd written down that it was well paced. It was, you know, it was just it just kept kept the momentum going. Like I joked about it earlier, but I've mentioned it. I think I've mentioned it elsewhere before. But me and Rob sat through a 15-match um, NXT UK taping that ended up, I think, taking the best part of five hours. And it just felt like it was on a conveyor belt of here is a match. Here is the same match, but with different people. Here is something slightly different. But this kept it going. The squash matches were decently placed. The interviews didn't drag on. Like you say, nothing outstayed. It's welcome. It's, yeah, it, like you say, it gets a bit of a bum rap, but it was pretty well put together. Are what, you going to tell like a three, three and a half hours long or something like that? Which, if mm. a WrestleMania nowadays was three and a half hours long, you, you, you'd walk away a very happy wrestling fan. Yeah. Mm. Uh, that's the that NXT um, UK show went on so long. We know one lad who left an hour early because he'd heard a rumor that there was uh, that they were um, selling off short dated sausages of the co op. <laughs> <laughs> how bad it was. Yeah. <laughs> And you got shushed, Rob, for wanting for for chanting and wanting to enjoy the wrestling. You should watch wrestling in complete silence. It should be like uh, should be like a Premier League football game. As for the match of night, I'm in agreement. Uh, Warrior Macho, you don't uh, get me wrong. I loved uh, Bulldog and Warlord. I really did, but I had to pick uh, Warrior Macho and. Uh, I think this one's going to be a short one. Yeah, moment at night has just got to be Macho and Lizard, hasn't it? Um, I think that we're in agreement with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the iconic one that everyone remembers. Still gets shown on uh, video packages now. Yeah. And uh, my favourite award, your mullet of the night. <laughs> Ooh, this one took me a lot of uh, lot of debating because it was Mullet City. Um I've got you want to go first. I've got two. <laughs> well, I'm tempted to go for Warlord's mullet. 
What mullet? <laughs> exactly. No, my favourite mullet on this was uh, it was is actually Hawks. Uh, obviously, they he was known for having the the double mohawk, but in this this show, he actually had him joined at the bottom with oh, a little nice. with a little like a rat tail style mullet, and I thought that's very very unique in a in a world where every every wrestler had mullets. Uh, I thought his was unique, so I'm going to go with Hawk. What well, nice? Uh, what you done? I've mentioned him uh, earlier in the show. Nobody knows his name, but it's the uh, it's broken nose Val Kilmer who was carrying the uh, the palanquin. Because I tell you what, when somebody is wearing an out when somebody when two people are wearing outfits as sparkly and garish as Macho and uh, and Sherry were, it takes a fucking hell of a mullet to distract from that. I, and I will be uh, putting these uh, mullets up on the uh, video, so don't worry. We'll, I'll, I, I, I missed the guy, but I'll definitely be uh, looking out for it. And uh, your mullet, Mike Rob. Well, uh, there's an honourable mention for Shawn Michaels, just because he's got so little hair now that he had yeah. so much hair then. Um, but I think I'm going to have to give it to Chuck Norris. He just had sort of a. Um, it was just the beginnings of the mullet coming on. You could see that he was growing it out at the back. Um, but it's Chuck Norris, so I mean, you know, you know, antibacterial wipes kill ninety nine percent of uh, bacteria. Chuck Norris kills one hundred percent of whatever he chooses. So you've got to go mullet <laughs> of the night. Under his beard, there is only another fist. <laughs> Under his mullet, there is another mullet. <laughs> it's got to be Chuck Norris. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you can not vote for Chuck Norris. Oh, you mentioned Hawk before, Mags. Sorry, I meant to mention this at the time. During that, uh, that during the LOD uh, shouty '80s promo, Hawk had the worst line of the night when he said, "After Power and Glory, after this match, you'll be sour and gory." Now, again, I did uh, some research for a, a Legion of Doom episode, and uh, I was talking, I was looking at a lot of the promos, and that promo. They did so many different times and with so many different um, uh, interviewers. I've watched it about 30 times and he does the same line and this is the worst rendition of it that, that he does. There's a lot of others where he puts a lot more passion into it. Yeah, I do agree with you though. It, it, it was a poor Legion of Doom promo. And uh, my month of the night, uh, twice as nice. I'm going to pick the Nasty Boys. <laughs> <laughs> The, the good thing with them is they they went all in with the gimmick. They shaved the sides clean off to make sure there was nothing but mullet. Yeah. So uh, I just thought it was great to look at. And uh, that's the end of the show. So before we go, lads, uh, the East Wobs look your social medias and where everyone can find you. Go on, Mags, you're the pro. Jesus Christ, I've got too many now. Uh, just follow me at DAJ Kirby. Uh, I won't spend 25 minutes rounding off all the, the content that I'm involved in, but uh, you'll find links to them there on my, on my Twitter. So, at DAJ Kirby. Cool. And you, uh, Rob? Um, it's at UTT Rob. Um, you know, I, I think the best advice would be to uh, go follow these three guys before you consider following me. But uh, if you do consider following me, then I'd be grateful for my follow back. Oh, and last but not least, Dan. I'm at Dan Griffin 21, and if you want to see live tweets of things that are at minimum six weeks out of date, then uh, you'll love my account. Six weeks? It was six weeks out of date 20 years ago. I said minimum, Rob. Don't be a twat. <laughs> six, months, six months ago, we live tweeted Con Air. That was a year ago. 
And it's only because you lend me the DVD. Yep. Uh, this, is, uh... <laughs> this Nicholas Cage is a real actor. He's going to go far. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And if anyone wants to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at that 90s wrestling podcast. And you can also follow me on Instagram at 90s wrestling podcast. And you can uh, see all our pay-per-view reviews we're doing now and also our uh, interviews which is uh, starting to pick up a little bit now so I'm actually enjoying doing the interviews so uh, I'm trying to do the cheap plug on my own show don't know if that works <laughs> but, killing it absolutely killing it man thank you and thanks for everyone who's uh, tuned in if you are uh, listening to uh, podcast form please head over to our YouTube channel and like and subscribe it really does help the channel out and if you're actually watching on YouTube, uh, you can also ca- catch us on audio form as well if you want to listen to our interviews on the podcast and form. And join us next time where we'll be uh, reviewing SummerSlam 91, which is uh, one of my favourite uh, pay-per-views growing up as a child. So uh, really looking forward to that. So till then, thanks to everyone who's watched and hopefully we'll ke- catch you next time. Bye. Hey everyone, thanks for clicking onto the video. I just want to say that we are currently on the road to 500 subscribers. So, in celebration of that, I'm going to be doing a free giveaway of one copy of WWE Battlegrounds on a console of your choice. Rather be a PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch or Xbox One. And all you have to do to enter it is simply click that subscribe button, tap the bell icon, and once we hit that magic number of 500 subscribers, I'll be doing the video to announce the winner. So, Thanks for listening and please enjoy the video.